Tonight on NJ Spotlight News. Supporting our veterans. Change was promised after a scathing DOJ report showed failures in state-run veterans' homes. But when will the overhaul begin? As much help as that can be given to the veterans, I think is imperative. Plus, pro-Palestine supporters hit the streets demanding a ceasefire, saying enough is enough as the civilian death toll in Gaza continues to rise. There's a lot that's happening on the ground and these civilians are the ones that are paying the price. Also, ready to run? Speculation surfaces that First Lady Tammy Murphy is putting plans in place for a potential political run to replace the state's embattled senior senator. And history in the making, the first openly LGBTQ woman is elected to New Jersey's state legislature. We need to look at each other and reach across the aisle and, and try and have a dialogue that's not um, filled with vitriol. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. Funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. And Orsted, committed to the creation of a new long-term, sustainable, clean energy future for New Jersey. From NJPBS, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venosi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Friday night. I'm Brianna Venosi. As New Jerseyans salute those who've kept America safe, many are wondering when the state will return the favor. It's been months since a scathing Justice Department report uncovered failures at government-run veterans' homes. The governor and lawmakers pledged to overhaul the system, but families of veterans say reforms have been slow to take place and they want more immediate action. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan reports. I find that the veterans have been forgotten. Kim Klober is an Air Force nurse who recently retired after 25 years of service. At a Veterans Day event in Oradell, she talked about crucial health care reforms desperately needed by military vets, especially those in hospitals and retirement homes. Somebody that can be the intermediary person to speak for, you know, especially if there are older veterans unable to, you know, verbalize their concerns and, you know, go out there and, you know, get them to the health care that they need. What we found during the pandemic and have found other times, as you know, people didn't know who to call. They weren't getting information. Families were calling and saying, do you know what's going on in there? Congressman Josh Gottheim is sponsoring a bill that would place a federal advocate in every veteran's home across the country. After the COVID crisis in state-run homes in Paramus and Menlo Park yielded one of the highest death tolls for veterans' facilities in the nation, advocates, including the Department of Justice, have demanded better communication. This advocate will be a direct line of contact and a voice for our veterans, ensuring that every day they have access to someone who can immediately help them with any concerns. I think it would have made a big difference because they would have been able to be the voice that those people didn't have. We still have a long way to go to give us a platinum level care for the veterans that call Menlo Park and Paramus home. 
VFW spokesman Jay Boxwell says the Department of Justice investigation at the Paramus and Menlo Park homes found they violated residents' constitutional rights through September of 2022. It called for vast improvements in medical care and management and threatened a lawsuit. Lawmakers began drafting bills to reconfigure the Department of Veterans and Military Affairs. It's kind of a two-step process where we're going to have uh, a new department only dealing with nursing homes. Uh, and we're going to have an advocate making sure that uh, that, that commissioner is doing its job. Basically. Meanwhile, negotiations continue between the Murphy administration and the Department of Justice after federal investigators discovered an ongoing risk of serious harm at two of New Jersey's three veterans' homes. A deadline for remediation established by the feds expired a couple weeks ago. They see us taking significant action and are willing to allow us to the opportunity to move forward. Senator Joe Cryan chairs the Military and Veterans Affairs Committee. He says conditions at the two homes have improved, but that legislation to create a new cabinet-level department for veterans is too complex to draft in time for the legislature's lame duck session. There's a high degree of an expectation of a federal monitor uh, as those negotiations conclude, and we don't really don't want it to be part of lame duck. Cryan says he expects draft legislation and hearings after the holidays in January or February. This is, you know, how they make the sausage kind of thing. But there's a lot of federal dollars involved. And the bifurcation of those dollars and making sure that they stay active and that they're done properly um, is also one of the tricks of the uh, getting this right. There are currently focus groups and different uh, uh, groups of individuals that are working on specific parts of the realignment of the MAVA. Everybody from the executive branch, the folks at the mob, to the legislative side. Boxwell says it's worth the time. I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. Well, no sooner did this week's legislative elections end, did the next campaign cycle begin. On Thursday, former Governor Jim McGreevy announced he's re-entering politics, launching a bid to be the next mayor of Jersey City, nearly 20 years after a stunning resignation from the state's top office when a lawsuit threatened to expose an extramarital affair McGreevy had with a man he appointed to a Homeland Security post. The former governor sat down with senior political correspondent David Cruz for this week's episode of Chatbox to talk about this campaign and why he wants a second chance. But the scandal, we should say, and I was covering uh, that, it was more than I'm a gay American. You tried to make your lover the head of Homeland uh, Security. No, that's not true. And the feds were investigating aspects of your administration well, as let me well. just correct one thing yeah, at a time. Yeah, let's do both of those. Yeah, no, they're two separate things. One, um, uh, Golan was counselor to the governor, was in Homeland Security. Homeland Security was in the Attorney General's office. And there's Mr. Casperson. A was, paid job within the administration, a, a, a yeah? A paid job. And actually, we lifted it and, and heightened it to, to focus on uh, the importance of counterterrorism. But Golan was on. And so, like, I said, only in New Jersey can you can you have a um, gay lover on the payroll and that not be enough. But no, but... Candidly, no, it was inappropriate. It was wrong. Something apologized for. Uh, something I took ownership of. So I just want to be clear. Yeah, but let's talk about if also, I can finish it. If, if, that 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 yeah, that he he advised on a whole series of issues, including uh, counterterrorism, including uh, economic development, including the business community. So I I want to own it. Um, but again, I apologize for it and. 
you know, that I... You want to own it, but for what exactly it was. Yeah, for what yeah. it was. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Uh, but also, um, there were federal investigations that well, like, were you know, starting... Chris, Chris Christie is one of the toughest um, prosecutors of white-collar crime yeah. in the history of the state. And I think he's tough, but fair. Um, and clearly, you know, I, I think that whether whoever is governor can be a focus of investigations, whether state investigations or federal investigations. And um, in fact, I think Governor Christie said that, you know, Jim McGreevy, I think he actually said on tape that Jim McGreevy's never taken a dime in his life. You mentioned someone said, who's this guy? He's never held elective office. Do you feel a little bit like that's a, a fair question for oh, people? Like, who is this guy? Sure, sure. That's what do you say to that? Well, I'm that I mean, guy. For, for, to the young guy, to the young folks? Yeah. No, I was just like, you know, um, no, I just like, you know, I had, I had a state trooper there that, like, a couple of months ago, talk, and we were talking, and he said, you know, kept going back and forth, and finally he said, well, you worked in Trenton? I said, yeah, and he goes, <laughs> he goes, well, what did you do? And finally I said, you know, I was governor. He goes, where was I? I said, you know, well, you were back probably 10 in, years yeah, exactly. old. <laughs> he was no less than that. He was like, you know, yeah. running around. So, I, you know, I think that's, you know, that's a blessing, I mean, because, you know, candidly, it's an opportunity to present yourself and your vision uh, for the city to these voters. Yeah. Um, you had former Senate President Steve Sweeney, uh, Senator Brian Stack, Patterson, may Andre say, and other uh, political luminaries there. Uh, are you the establishment candidate, and is that a good look for someone in Jersey City? No, I don't think I'm the establishment candidate. You got nine of the 12 Hudson County mayors yeah, already you know, saying they support of, you. At the, at the end of the day, David, unless you're registered for for voting in Jersey City, you, you can't vote in Jersey City. So, I mean, I think I, I would want to be the candidate that people have trust who's going to work really hard on working-class family issues, that's going to make sure that's going to work diligently, to, you know, clean up the streets, safe and clean streets, striping, cleanliness, street paving, try to do something about the traffic, try to do something about the parking, and affordability. You can see David's full interview with the former governor on Chatbox this weekend, Saturday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. on NJPBS. Meanwhile, First Lady Tammy Murphy hasn't even declared her candidacy, and she's already got endorsements to run for embattled U.S. Senator Bob Menendez's seat. In a statement on Thursday, Democratic Senator Dick Cody backed Murphy, describing her as a, quote, qualified, deserving, and driven person, saying the First Lady has been a force within the governor's administration, arguing she spends more time in Trenton than some elected officials who are paid to be there. Murphy, though, hasn't confirmed whether she'll run for the seat, but according to reports from NJ Globe, a political website in her name was registered last week, and social media pages for her campaign are in the works. If she does enter the race, she'll face progressive activist Larry Hamm and sitting Congressman Andy Kim, who tossed his hat in the ring a day after Menendez was indicted. If elected, Murphy would be New Jersey's first female U.S. senator and the only first lady to win an election to that seat.
Democrats this week held on to a hotly contested state Senate seat, re-electing incumbent Vin Gopal by a landslide for a third term in office in the Jersey Shore's 11th district. But voters also flipped the state's two assembly seats there blue and made history by electing Luann Peter-Paul, the first openly LGBTQ woman to the New Jersey legislature in a race where parental notification policies for transgender and non-binary students loomed large. Assemblywoman-elect Peter Paul joins me now. Assemblywoman-elect, uh, it's great to meet you and welcome to the show. Uh, congratulations is in order. This was a long, hard uh, fight for you all in the 11th district, and you were pinned as really the underdogs because of the Republican uh, advantage given the split uh, district there. Yes, we were, and thank you so much for having me on. As you can see, I'm, I'm losing my voice a little bit after the long campaign, but it was a long campaign. We had a tremendous team behind us. It was a team that really worked together, almost like a family, because we all believed in the same thing. We all believed in our messaging. We all believed in the fact that we were um, telling the right things uh, and speaking about the right things moving forward. It was a tough election. Um, but it was well worth it at the end. We kept our eye on the prize. What are you going into Trenton hoping to do? You obviously have a long career as a, a former county prosecutor, um, municipal judge. Uh, of course, lots of talk about you being the first um, LGBTQ uh, member there. What is your hope when you head to Trenton? You know, it, it, being the first LGBTQ plus out um, lesbian elected to the legislature was really, it's, it, it's a part of who I am being um, gay, but it wasn't the issue that really thrust me into politics. Except on election night, I do have to say that um, several people came up to me with tears in their eyes and thanked me for putting myself out there and running. In fact, one particular story stands out with me, out to me is, um, a fireman who had tears in his eyes and came up to me and said he traveled hours to help uh, get us elected and, and me in particular because his 15-year-old son came out to him earlier this year. And, and that's what I want to bring to the legislature is not just LGBTQ plus equality, but across the board. I mean, we're facing a lot of anti-Semitism in today's world. We need to look at each other and reach across the aisle and, and try and have a dialogue that's not um, filled with vitriol. We, we need to begin to do the work that is necessary for our constituents. Yeah, I mean, you're running me. Uh, Senator Vin Gopal said, you know, civility at the end of the day won out. Do you think that's what it is? And how do you begin to bridge that divide um, when the rhetoric has become so heated um, and uh, intense? Well, I think Senator Gopal has established a template on how to reach across the aisle. I mean, that's why he chose both or asked both Mar Dr. Margie Donlin and myself to run, because he realized that we believed in the same thing. Look, being an attorney, being an assistant prosecutor, being a judge, you come to realize that communication, um, community, uh, you know, all of that makes a big difference. Coming across as being um, adversarial all of the time, it really just polarizes the situation. So, you know, we're going to follow what Senator Gopal has mapped out in terms of civility and reaching across the aisle. 
Assemblywoman-elect Luann Peter-Paul uh, winning in the 11th district. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. Pro-Palestinian demonstrators rallied on Thursday outside the offices of two New Jersey Congress members, part of a national shutdown day where protesters from across the country held events elevating their calls for a ceasefire in Gaza. They marched outside the Newark office of U.S. Senator Cory Booker and at Congressman Bill Pascrell's Patterson office, carrying Palestinian flags and signs reading, Ceasefire Now. Protesters say the conflict has reached a critical point, pointing to records from the health ministry inside Gaza showing more than 10,000 Palestinians have been killed by the Israeli army since the war broke out on October 7th. Palestinian Americans who live in New Jersey shared stories of family members who have been killed or are stuck in Gaza. For more on the growing calls to end the war, I'm joined by Rania Mustafa, the executive director of the Palestinian American Community Center in Clifton. Rania, thanks so much for joining me. I want to talk to you first about these increased calls now and the demonstrations that have been happening um, with, I'll say, really cries for a ceasefire. What is the message uh, that your organization and a lot of others are hoping to get across? I think our biggest message is that enough is enough. Um, there have been over 10,000 people that have been killed um, of them, over 4,000 children. Uh, and we just are trying to appeal to people's humanity and say that enough is enough and we need a ceasefire now. When we heard from folks at some of these protests, I mean, they shared very vulnerable and very powerful words about the grief um, that's really taken over the community. How are you helping others um, during this time? Uh, and what are they coming specifically to your organization for? There, there have been several things that we've been helping people with. Um, the first as a community center is that we've been trying to provide spaces of community healing um, through our various programs and our events um, and just being together as a community. And so we've been working tirelessly on making sure that people are, are educated and, and truly understand the Palestinian narrative. Yeah, what I'm curious to know what you feel is the biggest piece of misinformation um, and what you want the public at large to know about how Palestinian Americans, not just in New Jersey, but, but everywhere, um, how they're feeling right now. I think the biggest misinformation that's out there is that um, we are, that there are so many civilians on the ground. Um, as you mentioned earlier, we had a uh, silent rally yesterday where several family members came up to share their stories. These are mothers, fathers, grandmothers, grandfathers, children, babies, um, teenagers that are literally being killed or starved to death. Um, so this isn't some sort of, uh, you know, the human shield um, theory is 100% false. That's not what's happening here. These are civilians that are being targeted by Israeli airstrikes. Um, there's a lot of war crimes that are happening from barrel bombing, from carpet bombing, from white phosphorus. There's a lot that's happening on the ground, and these civilians are the ones that are paying the price. I mean, um, in terms of how, go ahead. no, please go on. In terms of how our community is feeling, honestly, we feel very. Um, abandoned, I think, for so long. And so now we're in a place where our community is literally grieving, is being actively uh, murdered, and we are not getting the attention or the advocacy that's needed in order to end this. Um, and at the end of the day, it really doesn't take much. It just takes someone recognizing someone else's humanity, 
Um, and it's difficult that we are put in these positions where we have to explain to people why we're human and why we deserve life. And I honestly don't wish that position on anybody where you have to make your appeal that I am human and I deserve life and I'm not lesser than anyone else. Um, and that's a very difficult position to be with. And I think our community as a whole has been really struggling with that. Rania Mustafa uh, is the executive director of the Palestinian American Community Center in Clifton uh, on calls for a ceasefire. Thank you so much for sharing those thoughts with us. Thank you for having me. The FBI-led manhunt in Middlesex County is over. Federal authorities say Gregory Yetman, a 47-year-old man wanted in connection with the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, turned himself in this morning at the Monroe Township Police Department. Yetman fled his home in Helmetta on Wednesday when FBI agents arrived to serve him a federal warrant, running into a wooded area behind his house, setting off a frantic search. Ted Goldberg has the details. It's different when it's in your own backyard, but I, I do think that there's a relief. I, I see a lot of, you know, positive comments now on social media um, and people are very appreciative. You don't always see positivity on social media, but that's what happened when a 48 hour manhunt ended after former New Jersey National Guardsman Gregory Yetman turned himself into Monroe Township Police. The FBI tried to arrest him on Wednesday alleging that he pepper sprayed Capitol Police during the January 6th riot. Yetman allegedly ran into the woods behind his home in Helmetta. The woods are quite dense and several acres. Being born and raised here, um, there's trails back there, you know, and growing up it's, it's kind of a, a standard that you know those trails back there. Mayor Christopher Slavicek says the FBI told him Yetman would likely stay local, keeping residents on edge since Wednesday morning. The FBI reassured us throughout the entire search that the community was in safe hands. Um, you know, the FBI, the Middlesex County Prosecutor's Office and Jamesburg Police worked collaboratively and were in constant communication with myself and administration here to make sure that uh, we alerted the residents and kept them safe. The FBI says Yetman turned himself in peacefully but refused medical treatment. He's being held by U.S. Marshals until a court appearance in D.C. on Monday. Yetman admitted to being at the Capitol on January 6th during an interview with USA Today earlier this year, but said he didn't break any laws. There were over two dozen New Jersey residents uh, or, you know, former Jersey residents or current Jersey residents who were charged um, with a whole gamut of charges, uh, you know, from, you know, trespassing to seditious conspiracy. Ian Shearn is a contributing writer to NJ Spotlight who has written about January 6th. Yetman is charged with assaulting officers, obstruction of law enforcement, and other federal charges. It sounds like this guy falls somewhere in the middle of the uh, bad actors uh, spectrum. People who were assaulting officers uh, certainly um, are taken more seriously and are, are being charged and sentenced accordingly. Yetman's arrest comes nearly three years after January 6th, and the FBI continues arresting and charging people who are there. People forget the magnitude of this investigation. I mean, over a thousand people have been charged. Uh, that's a lot of, of, of work. That's a lot of shoe leather, and that's a lot of paper shuffling to uh, and interviewing. The FBI still has a long list of suspects from January 6th, and some of them have rewards included for information leading to their arrest. In Helmetta, I'm Ted Goldberg, 
NJ Spotlight News. In our Spotlight on Business report, residents in Salem City are handing their drinking water system over to a private company. Voting overwhelmingly on Tuesday in favor of selling the municipal water and sewer management utilities. The controversial plan passed despite low turnout with 61% of the vote. New Jersey American Water will buy the municipal utility for $18 million and it's promising to pump about $50 million more into infrastructure upgrades over the next decade. Salem City officials say they had no choice but to sell. The water system is plagued by debt and failed to meet new state standards, including having high levels of the toxic chemical PFNA. Studies have shown, though, that private utilities typically charge higher rates than towns and pass the costs on to customers. American Water says rates will stay the same for the next two years, then increase by 3 percent during each of the next three years. On Wall Street, stocks opened higher today. Here's a look at where trading numbers ended for the week. Support for the Business Report provided by the New Jersey Tourism Industry Association. NJTIA will host their New Jersey Conference on Tourism November 30th through December 1st at Resorts Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City. NJTIA.org for event information. And be sure to tune in this weekend to NJ Bisbee with Raven Santana. She looks at the process of starting a business in New Jersey and the support entrepreneurs can access in the state. She also talks to new business owners about their journey from idea to grand opening. Watch it Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday morning at 9.30 on NJPBS. That's going to do it for us tonight. This weekend, be sure to tune into Reporters Roundtable. David Cruz talks with Republican Senator John Bramnick about lessons learned from the GOP losses in Tuesday's legislative elections. That's Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on NJPBS. I'm Brianna Venozzi. For all of us at NJ Spotlight News, thanks for being here. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you on Monday. JM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association, and by the PSEG Foundation. Our future relies on more than clean energy. Our future relies on empowered communities, the health and safety of our families and neighbors, of our schools and streets, the PSEG Foundation is committed to sustainability, equity, and economic empowerment. Investing in parks, helping towns go green, supporting civic centers, scholarships, and workforce development that strengthen our community.